Hello friends! A couple preliminary matters to attend to. This week, Brooke and I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with a friend of ours who's a sex worker, a sex educator, and an intimacy and relationship coach in the second part of our sex work series. She goes by Zandra professionally. You may hear us call her Allie. That is the same person, we promise. Also, we didn't have access to the studio to interview her, so we want to apologize to you up front if you can hear a car or a rogue meow. My cat, Sleepy Jean, is really sorry or any other weird sounds. And last, we wanted to throw in one important thing that we didn't get to talk to Zandra about regarding sex workers' safety. It's a huge difference with SESTA-FOSTA. Zandra told us afterwards that there are these sites where sex workers can review clients within a community of themselves and see if any other sex workers have blacklisted that person for any number of things. Before SESTA-FOSTA, these third-party safety sites would allow sex workers to show what conduct it was that got the client blacklisted. So anything from not paying to they physically assaulted me, things that really would be safety risks. But because website providers now are so worried about anything that's seen as promoting or knowing about sex work promotion going on on their site, those distinctions aren't there anymore. So we'll get more into it as we go. And with that... The magic words, LBJ. What conditions are stipulations? Magic tricks <laughs> or manipulations interjecting conversation. That was it. Yeah. We're rolling. I think that's good. Um, I think what Allie and I wanted to introduce as the uh, the rolling open was, so last night, oh. <laughs> tuned into the RNC as part of our, our um, Hall of Fame horror movie evening, and um, there was a nun who came on to talk about, like, anti-abortion stuff, and she said it, it's like we felt it coming and she's like i i was overseas with the military and i was in haiti helping after storms and the most marginalized group in the world is right here in this country and it is the unborn <laughs> and we both like audibly did cried you out. see the there's a clip from the rnc it was the first day uh it was this guy on i could not tell you who he was or why he was there. I th- he was just a representative who was showing up. It was like during roll call. Um, but he he was talking about about repro rights and he said um, he I can't remember the exact line, but he said unborn babies. But he says babies like Moira from Shit's Creek. The energy at roll call for the RNC was like the casting call for like high school theater where everybody who wants to join theater but like doesn't actually know how to act yeah but like it's like it's like the first day when they're all like everyone who just like wants attention wants to get on stage will like go on stage and like you know do their little 
their little audition. But it's I'm just it's just kind of a <laughs> menagerie of uh, people who have never spoken in public or like, to, to more than uh, ten people yeah. before. So they're just nervous <laughs> and kind of like bumbling through it. Love it. Yeah. That, All right. Speaking of people who are fumbling through it, this is exceedingly persuasive. I'm Mackenzie Brennan. I'm Brooke Rogers. We got an extraneous third with us this week. Um, we got our good friend Ellie. You want to say hey? Hello. We're so happy to have you on, Allie. I'm, I am extremely comfortable with the energy we created in the studio today because I know Allie's here. Um, so I am a in-person sex worker. Um, I dabble in online content and I do some sex education here and there. Um, and I think that sort of like sums it up for what would be appropriate for. Uh, Topic related to okay, okay. <laughs> Ali, do you want to mention uh, where people can find you on Insta if they're looking for some of your sex education work? Yeah, um, so sex education work for other workers, if you're looking for like resources or someone to talk to, um, I'm happy to do any of that. And my handle is what is it? It's Zandra DZW. Yeah, so it's X A N D R A D Z W. Yeah. So um, you can find her there, and she does some sex ed stuff, too. But uh, if you tuned in last week or if you want to check it out, we talked a little bit about the VP candidate pick in Kamala Harris and then went from there to her criminal justice mm-hmm. history with SESTA-FOSTA, which is um, specifically targets prostitution and human trafficking. It was heavily advertised as a human trafficking-specific bill. Mm-hmm. Um federal law and yet it has done very little to curb that and what it has done is um, really infringe on sex workers uh, rights and independence and safety and options and ability to operate as well and so um, Allie was kind enough to come on and and discuss that with us um, because she is the expert in this area yeah so um, what we didn't quite get into last week in terms of the law itself that I did at least want to do up here at the top and Ellie please jump in if anything comes up that is relevant because we don't know what we don't know (laughs) okay great (laughs) I'm sure there are a lot of skeletons lurking in closets oh yeah um but so the one interesting thing that I did learn about this law and give me a second because I don't want to say it wrong so um before SESTA-FOSTA Obviously, the advent of the internet has been very weird for a lot of uh, speech-related things, for a lot of regulatory things, that as a marketplace, there you really can't parallel it in, in a lot of industries, but sex work mm-hmm. specifically, um, you can't parallel it to in-person anything, in-person or print advertising. It just doesn't work the same way. So um, I think, you know, in the early 90s or mid-90s, as all these things were coming to light, people really struggled, or legislators really struggled at how to make this work. Um, and then there's the whole weird moral chip on everybody's mm-hmm. shoulder that yeah. <laughs> obviously... Um, is not really about making it work. It's it's just yeah. about imposing that on a new medium. But uh, so before SESTA FOSTA, so we're going to go back to 1996. And okay, so there was this thing called the Communications Decency Act of 1996, and it was essentially 
drafted to shield miners from the obscenities of the internet, which obviously we see has been very effective, and mm-hmm. miners don't see any obscenity on the internet. Um, that was pretty promptly challenged by the ACLU because they said that it violated the First Amendment because you can't just be like, that's indecent, so we have to keep it off the internet because children. Um, there just wasn't enough of a connection. The one thing, uh, SCOTUS agreed, so the Supreme Court said, yes, this is unconstitutional in large part. The one thing that remained was this section 230 of the law, which um, kind of helped these internet platforms, these third party hosts, because what it did was before the Communications Decency Act, which it's kind of weird because this is like a not censorship e provision that happened to survive, even though the name is very sensory, mm-hmm. but it was section 230 of the CDA. And it, before the CDA, those hosts of websites couldn't be liable for third-party content, so there really was no incentive to get involved in it at all. But the effect that that had was kind of to not acknowledge any content, because once you acknowledged it, then it's like, oh, we know about it, and you're accepting liability. So they kind of kept their distance from anything because you don't want to even look at the content. And then after the CDA, it kind of opened the door for for websites like Backpage because just by knowing that something exists doesn't mean that you're accepting liability for it as a third-party website host. And obviously we see this come up kind of on, on the good and the bad side because you think of things like Twitter or Facebook and you want the third-party websites to get involved a little bit in the content and censorship sometimes because they can post very dangerous things, but in the case of websites like Backpage, where a lot of sex workers previously prior to SESTA-FOSTA advertised, and it seemed like a pretty good arrangement. Yeah. More into that. But before SESTA-FOSTA and after the Communications Decency Act, third-party website hosts could have sex workers advertise, use the platform pretty freely without being worried that they themselves are going to be liable if somebody broke the law by advertising something on there that is, you know, prostitution related or sex work related or any of these things. Then Sesta Fasta came along and And that was a rework of the Communication Decency Act that was passed in 1996 that you referenced before. And something I did want to comment on that you said before is with uh, third party vendors like Twitter and Facebook, the argument that you hear from the right when it comes to com- companies like Twitter and Facebook removing mm-hmm. content off their sites is they always say it's a publisher, not a platform, which isn't true. It is a platform and they have no. terms of service and they are a private company. So if you violate those terms of service, they are going to remove uh, that content. And that is not censorship because it's right. not government imposed. It's not First it's- Amendment infringement. I think that censorship is so, we have that concept so linked in our mm-hmm. heads with mm-hmm. First Amendment, but yeah. really it's only a First Amendment violation if it is the government taking away something. I can censor what you write on, say, like my notebook as much as I want because it's like censor has such a governmental punch to it, but technically it just means not allowing somebody the platform. And I think that kind of what you're saying about publisher not platform not being accurate, it highlights this whole the internet is a different animal. Yeah. And I think we all know that by now, but you see all the different nuances of it that one argument that you may want to lean into for Backpage, then you kind of want to put an asterisk on it because it's like, well, you do want them to censor a little bit on Twitter for these private platforms. But mm-hmm. I think that we had struck a pretty decent balance 
with sex work before SESTA-FOSTA, it seemed like there was very little harm from sex workers who were using it to advertise. I feel like there's even um, an opposite balance that's been struck with now those platforms that didn't usually like Facebook and Twitter and uh, what Instagram and what's the other one, like Tumblr and SESTA-FOSTA. Now those are all being just like super censored and um, either accounts are shut down or people's accounts are deactivated or they're banned or whatever for content that would fall under. That's um, actually, anything explicit. I didn't think of that being Sesta Foster related, but oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. No, I used totally. to be a big Tumblr person, right, right. and then sometimes you go back and look at your old Tumblr, and you're like, why are all these removed for violating guidelines? Yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, remember yeah. when Tumblr just became absolutely pointless because they removed yeah. all not safe for work content, but the, the scope right. of what not safe for work what meant was yeah. just incredibly large because they were so afraid of violating Sesta Foster. Right, and it was like some really flawed algorithm that sometimes there would be like a photo of ham and they're like, this is a nude! <laughs> Take the nude! Listen, yeah, somebody's getting off to it. You know what I mean? Like, what? And it's me, so I'm obviously bitter about it. So. There was also this really big uh, controversy with when Tumblr first imposed the rules, I remember, because they would post photos of like, um, male nipples and female nipples right next to each yes. other and like the male nipples wouldn't be censored but the female but like there was also this they were experimenting with like they would superimpose a frog yeah. onto the photos of like nipples to like try to like throw the algorithm off and sometimes it would work <laughs> which was a really interesting time to be on Tumblr because I didn't like immediately delete my Tumblr which I never posted on I just lurked but I didn't immediately <laughs> delete it I but like because I, I, I did kind of want to see how the community reacted to it but that's so I remember there was like a completely bonkers like two weeks right after they imposed the rules where like, people were just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and being like what what works like what did this algorithm pick yeah, up what doesn't it. it pick up so creative <laughs> love it well I know that I, I mean Tumblr is obviously the poster child of just swift death of yeah. a third party site um, oh, yeah. that was not strictly sex work related to begin with but you saw the fact of this law that targeted trafficking quote unquote uh-huh. just murder Tumblr. Like, it became pointless to be on Tumblr. But with um, Facebook and Instagram, which Facebook owns Instagram, and Mm. I always feel very conflicted when I remember that because I hate Facebook, and I I think that they have very... They've managed a lot of these roles as an arbiter of what people see in very poor ways. Yeah. (laughs) Namely, the 2016 election, and and then their their ownership of how they handled that. But, of course, they have the same policy about nipples, which yeah. just drives me up a wall. And um, there was a movement on Instagram then to just Photoshop, like get a photo of a male friend's nipple and Photoshop that <laughs> over your nipple. And that's yeah. the only thing different about the photo. <laughs> so you're just fully topless in it, but the nipple that is there happens to be a male one. That actually a loophole? Can I do that? What if I get it like implanted? Oh, like, just like, like surgically, we're it, like yeah, cutting. Yeah, does it become a female off. nipple just right. by its attachment to me? What if you switch it away? Were there nipples oh, get they, it, I mean, you see, and this is a, a weird slippery slope that <laughs> I don't even want to call it a slippery slope because it doesn't have to be that slippery that we're going to kind of touch on with a lot of different topics today that if you go one step further in the same direction, it really highlights how absurd it is. Right. And I think that that's true with, you know, sex work where it's compensation for a physical act versus the fact that you can pay for dancing, you can pay for imagery, being porn, obviously. Um, You can be a sugar bee. Like, do you know how many marriages are predicated on the idea of compensation for, (laughs) like, romance, sexual, interact? Like, so it 
makes the designation so arbitrary. Mm -hmm. And then the arbitrariness of the designation shows how needless it is. Yeah. But I think that that's a theme that undergirds a lot of this stuff. Like, if I brought a camera to session, now I'm making porn and it's legal. No, it's art. Yeah. But, you could, but then that's more viewable to everyone else. So according to those, like... Um, like trying to keep this away from the public or the people or whatever. I'm like, the more public so you make it, like yeah. the better it is legally. Like, what is point. actually? What are you actually doing here? Well, then it also becomes like, for whose benefit is it? Yeah. And so, if it's consumable by dudes who want to buy it, that's different than if it is just for your own financial gain. And and I guess the client gaining in a different way, but it's just like there's less of a market. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's also what is society willing to fight for, right? So, like, if yeah. if you started, if you tried to take away America's porn, mm-hmm. <laughs> the no. response would be On extreme. Um, but it's, yeah, when it comes down to, like, the agency of sex workers, there just isn't the same kind of push. I think there's we're starting to see... Um, a movement toward that and a movement toward, um, you know, among started by sex workers, among sex workers, but then also just kind of a cultural shift as well. But the fact that it's taken this long, I think, is telling. Yeah. I think it's just young people, hopefully, of this generation are more willing to realize things that are cognitively dissonant. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait, this doesn't make sense. But I think it, it's an anti-sex work thing, and it's also, there's so much sexism, it's really hard to miss the sexism that undergirds all of this, because it's... It's when women are in charge and when women are the primary beneficiaries. And obviously, Brooke, like you qualified last time, that is not at all to say that there aren't male-identifying sex workers and that there aren't non-binary sex workers. Um, and they suffer from this as well. But I think that the the dislike of it is so tied into misogyny and the fact that it's only bad when it is just for your benefit. It's like when you show your own boobs, it's different than if it's a Super Bowl commercial. Because it's for you as the woman. It's not primarily for yeah. the consumption of, of male society. Like, it, what's the purpose? Yeah. And I think when it comes down to that, it it's like, why are we even doing this? Yeah, it's I so think... so arbitrary. The... What we find offensive in this country is sort of fascinating to me, like what we choose to find offensive or, um, you know, immoral or a threat to children. Our, yeah. Think of, think of the children. The, yeah. The things yeah. that we choose to fixate on are, are really interesting. Examining the motivation behind that. Yeah. And if that examination yields nothing, that maybe maybe it's time to, to rethink that <laughs> as a societal value. So the to get more into what Sesta-Fosta did, then I think we want to play around with what would be more effective. Mm-hmm. Ali, after we talk to you more about what it did and, and the negatives, that the textual The actual consequences, that, yeah. Quote-unquote meant well, um, what they meant on the ground, um, then I think we can maybe get more constructive and think what would actually work and what would protect folks versus not. But um, one thing just at the outset that I think all of us noticed as a problem was that the key provision of SESTA-FOSTA that really was troubling was the one that criminalized promotion or facilitation of prostitution and sex trafficking. And then it goes on to talk a little bit about sex trafficking. But so the things that stand out to me about that is that we're putting sex trafficking and prostitution in the same sentence where it would be so easy to separate the two. Um, and because SESTA-FOSTA was so advertised, quote-unquote, as something 
that was about addressing the problem with sex trafficking, which is very real. And I think we should all say that at the beginning that um, it's a real problem and it is something that should absolutely be focused on. And speaking of things that are very sexist, um, very honestly under-addressed, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a form that a lot of like international human rights violations mm-hmm. take uh, is human trafficking and sex trafficking, but it is a different animal. Yeah. And it's also very hard to be anti a provision that professes to attack sex trafficking. Part of that is like, everyone is on board with anti-sex trafficking, yes. sex workers are anti-sex trafficking, no one wants this. Yeah. We're all on the same page here. It's a, it's a very easy thing to get support for. And then when you start blurring the lines, and I saw when I was looking at the like justification for the drafting of this, it's like, I saw some congressional record that said that the two are very linked, that they're inextricably linked. But I didn't really see how they got there, because that's what I really would be interested in. That seems like a rhetorical connection to me and not much more. And I would, if there is data that links the two, um, I would be interested to see it because then, you know, then we address it, we cross that bridge when we come to it. But the fact that I have not and did not see any is kind of suspect. And then the fact that we're throwing them into the same provision such that you can't separate them. Mm. Um, It's kind of like piggybacking on the thing that everybody cares about. Um, And then the the second thing that's very troubling about the drafting there is that there's no definition of what is promotion or facilitation of prostitution. So, and Allie and I were just talking about this beforehand, um, a little bit tongue in cheek, but like, is this promotion of prostitution? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's a that's I something mean, that, like, I talk about with my other friends who are workers um, and talk about with other people, that it's, like, if you share in-call, which is just a safe space for you to work at, like, that's promotion. If you um, maybe send an email, if you are the primary... Uh, person in your relationship who makes money and you're the you're a provider and your partner is not your partner then is like promoting like there's so many different loopholes that this could actually go into um that is just like it feels like a ball of chaos oh that's really interesting because a lot of those um one thing that i found when i was researching the law um on westlaw so it's like a, a specific legal database that you can read a lot of law journal articles that people have written about it too and I saw a lot of folks talking about how um, arguments for the fact that SESTA-FOSTA is unconstitutional because it's overextensive in the First Amendment realm and um, one thing that you hear a lot with statutes that don't define words like that is that they're void for vagueness because when they don't define words like that, it's such an open book that it's very possible that the way law enforcement could apply it is unconstitutional. Yeah. So the law as applied could easily violate the First Amendment. And just the list of things that you're talking about, um, you get into freedom of expression, the right to privacy. I mean, if, if us talking about it, for example, were to fall under that, that's unconstitutional because it does just censor an idea. And if you and your partner having a conversation, then it's kind of a right to privacy due process sort of thing. So. The fact that, as applied, it could cover so many of these things is in and of itself a grounds to render the law unconstitutional. Mm. So it's like, in my view, they were stuck because if they defined it, then they would pigeonhole themselves out of criminalizing a lot of this behavior and really scaring people because that's the effect that it has. 
And I think that's, again, the the fact that that is all intentional. The fact that sex trafficking and sex work were put in the same sentence because Mm -hmm. they, in my opinion, sex trafficking may have been a peripheral concern, but they really were trying to clamp down on sex work. Mm -hmm. The point of this law, um, even though it was sold as an anti-sex trafficking law, uh, again, the effect was mostly on sex workers. And I think they chose their words carefully. And when they passed this, they passed it with the intent to be able to um, to restrict the ability of sex workers to operate safely. Whereas uh, I tend to be less um, fully cynical uh, just because <laughs> it's nice of you. <laughs> and maybe I'm right. I mean, obviously I'm not the expert on how it has been applied, but I also know that there are so many, <laughs> this is not good either, but there's so many examples of legislation where it's like, oh no, it's just felony stupid. It's not intentional. They just, and Brooke, you and I have talked about this so much, that it's like they wanted to do a thing and they didn't do their research. They did not consult the experts. And especially like you and I talked about last week, when the experts are sex workers, it's not, I was going to say it's not sexy to have a congressional (laughs) hearing. It's very sexy to have a congressional (laughs) hearing with sex workers. But you know what I mean? Like Mm. it's not, um, it's not the kind of thing that any of these primarily rich, old, straight, white dudes are going to be like, hey, I have an idea. What if we talk to people this actually affects and bring them to the floor? Um, but one thing I would say to her about that is, again, we have to remember that, like, we can say the problem is that it's out of touch, uh, old, yeah. old white dudes. I think much more than that, it's out of touch politicians who genuinely don't even think about asking people or they don't want to ask people whose law affects because we have to remember, Kamala right. was a co-sponsor of this. This is something that she championed. Right, that's why it came right. Yeah. and she's not an old straight white dude. So I oh, think okay. that yeah. Yeah. there is like the, there is this problem of like that's not the only demographic. Okay. It's politicians who um, genuinely don't respect the rights of sex yeah. workers, and that's and yeah. I think one of the reasons why I'm so cynical about this law, particularly and potentially Kamala's intentions with the law, is because of her rhetoric in the past. That right. makes me question what the intention of the law was. That's and where that cynicism comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And and the continuation of the thought that I had was just that there are a lot of provisions, and I I don't know how it's applied on the ground. Um, I obviously know how it's applied in a way that affects sex workers because that has been a very common way that it's applied. But if you look at the actual provision, it's like seven pieces of eight address trafficking or um, even compensation for victims. But I think like who's going to because Brooke, I think we mentioned this last time that technically there's a provision in SESTA-FOSTA that says even if you're a victim um, who has engaged in criminal conduct. so. I guess that would mean because they include prostitution. If you're a sex worker who's been abused by clients or by an employer who kind of works as a pimping and promoting sort of thing, is what they call it under New York law, um, you still, even though it was quote-unquote criminal conduct under the same type of statute, you can recover from your abuser and get money from them without being, like, turning the, the lens on yourself. And it's a great idea, it's a very nice idea, but uh, who's gonna take advantage of that when it is the same provision that says that what you're doing is criminal? But the fact that there are a lot of other pieces of the law that actually are at least designed to target trafficking, I don't know how those are applied because I I don't really see that in action. 
And then the criticism, the criticism that comes yeah. from that is, okay, if that was the, if, if, that, if that, so seven out of eight of the provisions sure. uh, were, were focused on trafficking, but then that means that this law was poorly written and, and effective yeah. because the ultimate, uh, the ultimate consequences of this affected mostly sex workers. And Absolutely. actually, this is a great yeah. segue. Um, sure. Ali, could you talk a little bit about what, Backpage and other other sites that you may have interacted with, uh, how they worked before, and what the effect was after, what the the website looked like after, and how that affected you or people you know in the community at that time. Yeah, just first have to say like Backpage, what my one of my true loves. <laughs> um, Yes, Starcross Lovers currently. <laughs> yeah, so Backpage was a really accessible platform. Um, I just want to like caveat everything that I'm sharing with. I'm a very privileged worker. Um, I have a lot of different things that do help me have a lot of privilege and advantage in this job itself. Um, and so everything I'm taking or saying and sharing should be taken with that lens applied to it. Because um, there's a lot of different people who don't have the same experience as me or who won't be able to. Um, and people that have had similar experiences to me. So just want that to be on the table. Um, so I, I mean the the flip side of that is like this is the best case scenario. So anything that sounds bad with you is is kind of <laughs> like, and then it gets worse. And it gets folks. worse. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good point. So Backpage, I thought was great. So that was primarily used like um, it was super easy to post an ad. It depended on the city, of course, how much your ad cost. Um, but there's a few different things that I've noticed that have changed. One specifically around websites, and then two around sort of the like. There is a mogul market in in the same way that sex worker platforms now have corporations that I would akin to like Walmart. You know, like Backpage was maybe like a mom and pop shop. It was a uh, it was like well maybe not the affordable bit, but I'm trying to think. It's a place where anyone could go. Um, it wasn't as resource oriented. So what I mean by that is like you didn't have to have a bunch of money to post an ad, so it was really accessible to people. Um, you could easily post an ad and get clients that day or however it is that uh, you choose to um, interact with the way that you work. And Backpage is completely shut down. Um, and part of the thing that was really crazy is so using Backpage, you can post an ad for $3 or $5. You could bump it up to the top for a dollar. So you're at the top of the listing and you're easily accessible to different clients in different cities, especially if you're taking same day appointments, um, which often I was. Um, and so then one of the major changes is that now that the platforms that are more accessible financially are no longer accessible, now instead of paying $5 or $3 for an ad, I have to pay $300 for an ad. And that's part of what I mean by, like, I have a lot of privilege. Like, I'm able to do that. But, fuck, I was not when it started. Yeah. And that was really stressful for me. And what had happened... When um, when Backpage shut down and I wasn't able, I first of all I just didn't um, have access to those higher end platforms. And what happened when um, I wasn't able to access the platform that I usually used, which was Backpage, I had to take clients that I didn't want to take. I had to take way lower rates than I would have usually. I had to put myself in sketchier, scarier situations mm -hmm. um, that I wouldn't normally and wouldn't feel safe to me. But that was because I wasn't able to access the platform that I like made my money off, that I worked on, that I felt safe using. So then I went to the like 
Craigslist personals, which people use and they swear by it, no shade, ever. Um, I just found that I ended up in a lot of, like, unsavory situations because I had to provide for myself and uh, my little family at the time. And that was really stressful and that was really hard. And I had moved to a new city and thankfully I met some uh, sex workers in Colorado where I live and they were they informed me about different local boards and how to go about it. But I was like, who the fuck has $300 to post yeah. an ad? And now I do, and I'm very like, wow, my life is very different and very nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Brooke and I had brought that up last week in the context of breaking even, that mm. to just break even, you need yeah. to make $300 then. Yeah, oh, which is insane. And yeah. that's one ad, so it, right. depending on the date or the location. Yeah. Like, so just one effect of this was increasing your overhead by 300%. That's insane. <laughs> Yeah, wild. But on top of that is then, like, I had to become a more high-end provider, which, I mean, ultimately has served me in my business. Um, But then I had to get a website. I had to get professional Mm. photos done. I had to um, interact with clients in a way that I never had before uh, because people just didn't do it the way that Backpage did and the way I used to do it, where I just book a hotel, put my ad up, take clients all day, work one day a week, and I was like, I'm good. Um... It's just a lot more streamlined. Um, And so some of that I'm, like, thankful just as my own personal business stuff. But this is an example of someone who already came into this with a lot Mm -hmm. of privilege. And then I had a hard time adjusting. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Can you explain, if you feel comfortable, um, what about Backpage made you feel safer than, for instance, Craigslist Personals? Like, what about it was Mm -hmm. more appealing to you from a safety perspective? Yeah, so what I liked about it is, one, I learned about it from another worker. Also, like, same with Craigslist, like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone has uh, Craigslist, that's, you know. Yeah, but it, but the thing that I liked about Backpage was that it was for workers. You knew what you were doing there. It was not like, um, not like doing one of those sugar dating websites, which mm-hmm. I hated, and I could... What do you mean? Like, like seeking arrangement. Those websites, you just can't, you can't negotiate and you can't say, this is how oh. much my time is. You sort of have to just jump into it and be like, I hope that you pay me and everything's okay. Like it takes the control and the yes. guarantee out of your hands. Yes. Totally. Oh, okay. And so okay. Back, Backpage, I say, was like one of my first loves because that's the first time that I ever had that control and I was ever able to um, negotiate my time for what I wanted to be compensated. And that felt incredibly empowering to mm-hmm. me. And it felt really good. And that's what I liked about it, because it was straight to the point and easily accessible. And I think, it, I'm sure it varies from person to person, because mm-hmm. Ellie, you and I have talked about even things that might be more exhausting for one person versus another. Oh, that yeah. you can decide that this is a thing that I want to be compensated more for, um, right. that you and I can get socially exhausted <laughs> sometimes. And so it's like, if I'm somebody who gets socially exhausted, if you want to spend more hours with me, uh-huh. versus the actions themselves like maybe that's something you want to do differently yeah and if you're kind of just on the fly figuring things out I can imagine that's a lot harder to set out at yes. the outset and then you get into um some iffy consent grounds if you're not mm-hmm. able to say at the beginning like this is oh. what I'm comfortable with oh yes that's why sugaring is like the it's like the black hole of the universe really because like, like, I thought my like, feeling so much I hated it I, I hated it is it really? Can you explain? Yeah, is it because like, of the lack of boundaries of control over the situation? 
the whole thing. Yeah, I was never able to negotiate consent. My clients didn't listen to me. They wouldn't even consider themselves clients. I never was able to negotiate pay in a way that felt proper. And it just, the whole thing just felt really unsafe. And there, then there was no, like, other community. At least on Backpage, I could, like, reach out to another provider mm-hmm. and be like, hey, do you want to be friends? Or do you want to share references? Or, like... Oh, that's I, an interesting thing that I didn't know existed. But before we get off yeah. the sugar baby <laughs> thing, it is kind of interesting when we have this legal gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had mentioned sugar babies officially and like similar arrangements as a socially condoned way of doing very very similar work and you see that when something exists in that kind of legal loophole mm-hmm. where it's not illegal but the law doesn't it's kind of putting like regulatory blinders on keeping people safe in a in a way that actually keeps people safe that yeah. you know focuses on the workers and acknowledges that they're workers whatever that you see things like consent falling through the cracks And when you don't have a platform or regulation or illegality of the negative conduct, that it kind of just exists in this don't ask, don't tell sort of limbo. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting to note that work, like, sorry, what, what term did you use? Sugaring. sugaring is that the preferred yes, term that's great. Yes. um it's so, something like sugaring is more society you know it's more accepted by society it's you know kind of this legal gray area yeah. where you know it's more protected you're probably not it's a marital arrangement happening. yeah you're probably <laughs> you're probably not in as much as uh probably not in as much um legal danger but you have less agency and you're probably really not interesting. You, you have less less agency, less leverage, uh, less control of the situation. So the the actually more dangerous um, and potentially, you know, more frustrating, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the the uh, that work is actually more societally acceptable and more yeah. legally acceptable than work that you have more. And I, I want that, so that's, that's not just, about safety. Yeah, yeah. it's, oh, it's yeah, interesting yeah. that the the when it comes down to it, the actual work is not that different, except that you don't have as much control, yeah. and that is somehow the more societally accepted mm-hmm. work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's stop pretending collectively that laws are about protection of folks Mm. or uh, that the conduct is even morally wrong in a way that, you know, you could say murder is morally wrong. But even with that, because I always think of, and this is a a conversation I have with myself about where do people get their morals without religion sort of idea. And I'm like, "I, I don't know. I try to think of who it hurts because I don't, I was not raised with religion. And I'm like, well, murder, you can justify the morality behind making that illegal because it kills a person Mm. (laughs) but like when you get into this where the only moral value is that there's moral value Mm. and like this weird circular definition then you really i i find i don't know i find that really difficult to justify and i think that we're at a place in our society where we're having that reckoning moment with sex work because it's like why is this bad? Because we say that sex work is bad. Is that what it is? It's and not even that we say it's yeah. bad. It's that we have our the, the but foundation. But we say it's bad for women, and we say it's yeah. bad for people providing it, and we say it's bad if you're not married to the person. Eventually, I don't. Well, I, I we don't. T- yeah. I mean, I think that it's like yeah. I think again, like the base of all this is is this is the idea that I mean, our our, our country is extremely Puritan. And so a lot of this is stemming <laughs> from that, origins, right? <laughs> right, and but it, again, on top of that, there is this like, there is this kind of disdain for, for people's sexual agency, mostly yeah. women, but 
everyone. There's this there's this real um, there's this real disdain for anyone claiming ownership of of sex of their own, of their own experience of sex. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to derail you, uh, Ali. You were talking no, I think about. I did. Oh, you were talking <laughs> about. Um, so so. Backpage was nice because you had more control, and it sounds like it was also a way to build community within, mm-hmm. uh, with with other providers. Maybe the review, um, that function of it, and the safety function in that realm, because that was not something that I was familiar with before. Those sites where you can kind of review people, oh, clients yeah. okay. that are sex worker specific, and then if there's anything akin to that in Backpage context. Cat is meowing. Okay, so Backpage doesn't have anything safety-wise, like, internally that's more, like, I have reached out and they um, have friends who are providers who have reached out to their providers. Backpage itself did not provide anything aside from a space that was exclusively full of sex workers. Mm. And that's what I meant by that. Mm. I don't think Backpage itself is, like, a safe space. Right. And it doesn't provide safety in the way that um, those websites that I can talk about in a moment do. So maybe, I don't know. Well, that could actually get into some of the solutions that yeah. what is the ideal world, but... Right, so it, it, was, okay. it was preferable to other sites that people were pushed to post-SESTA-FOSTA, but it, that, that does not necessarily mean it was it was safe in itself, that the um, actual infrastructure was safe. I'm not, no, I'm not even saying it's more preferable than other websites. I'm just saying there are pros and cons. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you yes. for clarifying that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it just Twitter sort of... Uh, fills in that role for people because I don't know everyone's just always being on Twitter now like providers are see that's so as an aside that's really funny because it's a, it's the only social media platform that is strictly like by definition words not <laughs> images like yeah I know you can post it but then well we talked about how Facebook and Instagram are the same little entity and Tumblr's dead now so it kind of it's all this whole big conspiracy that only leaves Twitter so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was more of just an independent. I did that thing, and I liked that. I felt that was safer to have a community than um, not. That's more what I meant. And that makes sense because when you talk about those third-party vetting platforms, yeah, you said that you only found that through having a community. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which also shout out to to Facebook. Should we not say that? Will oh they no! Find us? No. Will they find us and find them? Like, <laughs> What, sex worker Facebook? Yeah, so I'm in a lot of private groups um, that to join you have to get vetted, so I send them my work info, I vet myself as a provider, um, and you just post things. It's like, I found friends there, I found better ways to work when I'm on my period, who knew that you shove makeup sponges in your pussy instead of- I don't know if we're gonna endorse that. Oh, okay. In terms of preferability, probably. Hey, listen, tips and tricks, man. Tips and tips tricks. And tricks. But as somebody who is wearing scrubs right now and has no other medical training. <laughs> no, I mean, just like tricks of the trade, realistically. Yeah. I just right, thought right, it was right. like super useful for me. We do not officially endorse makeup sponges in the pussy on Exceedingly Persuasive, um, but Allie does. So do it that way you will. Speak for yourself, Brennan. That's what I say. Okay, okay. Allie does and Brooke does. I have a very sensitive little... <laughs> God, we're going to have to edit so much of this out. Or not. <laughs> hey, man, it's medicine. Uh, um, <laughs> Ali, can you talk a little bit about what happened uh, to Backpage after Sessafasa? How quickly mm-hmm. things Is started to kind of kick into high gear? Is, does it exist? Like, um, I thought it was dead. I thought it was dead. Yeah, I thought it was dead. Um, 
was dead dead for a while and then maybe resurfaced, but like no one uses it. Mm. It's, I think it's dead dead. Well, okay. It's like culturally. Mm. Got it. Just at the outset, and I'm so sorry to cut in because I want to hear your answer, but from a legal perspective, the reason that, that it died, if it fully died, and if it effectively died, whatever, same deal, it's because Sesta Fosta made the website posts um, liable for the content that was posted on them. So it mm-hmm. removed that sort of um, hands-off, I'm not expected to know what's happening, and thus, if there is a post on here, an advertisement that relates to sex work, which is illegal, and oh, oh my gosh, I do want to mention that there is an asterisk to this whole prostitution provision in SESTA-FOSTA that says, this doesn't apply if the conduct in question is legal in the state that it occurs in, Um, which in a lot of parts of Nevada, sex work is Mm -hmm. legal, because I, I... came out of the whole Las Vegas thing, but it's like, isn't that in and of itself an admission that this is a sustainable, not Mm -hmm. inherently harmful thing, and we're just going to carve out where the places that should have jurisdiction anyways have made it? The fact of that is so ridiculous to me, because it almost negates any pretending to harm, but the whole point is that the only online platform that you had, the owners of those platforms then are liable for whatever you're doing in an oversimplified way. So if if you are advertising sex work on there or human trafficking as it is so inextricably linked to in the statute, um, then it makes, it like disincentivizes hosting any platform because Mm -hmm. then the owner of the platform is liable for it criminally or civilly. Yeah. But so I'm wondering, if the whole reason for them not wanting to do it is financial, semi-criminal, and, and even just like fines that are criminal, it's a it's largely a financial loss if you are a hoster of that platform and you are found liable. But then if you lose the whole website, mm-hmm. like where's the balance? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because it's not like they're making money now in a different business, which is why I asked if it still exists, and yeah. Tumblr, same deal. They really bent over backwards to obey this law, uh-huh. whereas what are they now? If it's a financial incentive or, or disincentive, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So do they exist? Or? I don't think so. <laughs> no, I think they just got wiped out. That was it. You and, talked a little bit about this the alley. website that went down. There were other websites that went on as well but it really the thing that is crazy to me about this law is it mostly affected the accessible websites so they're financially Mm. accessible local boards wow so it really like hit people who needed to have access to these places and it kind of made everyone one scramble to have less safe places to work and this is i like backpage had its issues of course as everyone Everyone does. Every website does. Especially when it's like a self-regulated industry and there's... Yeah. Because it is still illegal. There's no actual like... Yeah. Oversight. That's so interesting to me that you say that the most accessible, financially accessible websites got hit hardest because we we referenced this quote in the previous episode, but there was a sex worker who was talking to, um, I think it was Filter Mag, who said that Sessa Fosta was a direct attack on the economically disadvantaged and it seems like the it seems like that was true that the the effect of this law actually hit people, um, like you said, who couldn't necessarily afford a three hundred dollar ad, um, mm-hmm. the hardest. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's really where it took the hit. Mm-hmm. And then seeing the consequences of, I mean, I had a friend who she's like, I can't pay my rent. I had a different friend who's like, I have kids and now I don't have access to the local board that I need to be using to make money. And now I don't wow. know what to do. And I have to go put myself in an unsafe working position, either of trying to like find someone out, do outdoor work, see clients mm. that you usually wouldn't um, outdoor for your workers. safety. It is a thing that we should talk about because that's a, a thing that I've heard even in legal context mm. that SESTA-FOSTA actually had the effect of driving a lot of sex work into outdoor work. Yes. And that obviously by nature that is less regulated and it's less safe. And this is going back a ways, but like mm-hmm. whenever you've been in a position to do similar things, I, it mm-hmm. like... It's terrifying. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah, because there is no, there are no eyes on you. There's nothing. And then what is law enforcement going to do if anything happens? Right, and that's the other thing, and maybe that's a better part of the conversation for the, like, uh, what would we like to do better? Yeah, yeah. law enforcement. But, I mean, I have done outdoor work. Do you want to define what that is, actually? Yeah, so there's, there seems to be two kind of categories that people usually talk about. And it's indoor work, where you have access to working inside, which is literally like a hotel, a motel, your house, an in-call space, um, a And that's a shared space, you said? Sometimes they're shared space. Um, In-call is just a private workspace. Okay, okay. But not your home. It could be your home. Oh, okay, okay. It doesn't have to be. So it's just a private workspace that's usually private um, or shared between people. It's, I don't know, it's just the term. Okay, I'm not all right. sure. <laughs> so that's indoor work. Yes, so that's indoor work versus outdoor work, which is if someone goes to a bar to try to pick someone up, oh. or someone has to walk up along a street, or usually there's, like, blocks that people have, um, approach cars. Okay, um, so, Being solicited yeah. while they're outside as well. So clients. It, it, them or... It's kind of what it sounds like to some extent. Um, yeah, yeah. And obviously the... The reasons why it is less safe are are clear. Yeah. Because, you, you know... You have less control. Lot less yeah, control. and the only eyes on you are, are yours and right. whoever else. And you just yeah. don't know what you're going to run into in a way that I imagine you, you have more yeah. filterability. Right. It's like Jack uh, the Ripper world. This is like... Yeah, no, absolutely. With interwork, if you choose to screen, that's a privilege that you're more able to have. And that mm. also means you have more access to resources to afford an inside space to mm. work. As where outdoor work is super fucking scary sometimes. Yeah. You know, you get into a car with a guy you don't know, and you hope for the best. Yeah. Or, you know, it's just the resources aren't great for outdoor workers already, and that, like, more people had to push to be in that part of um, a less safe um Part of the industry is mm-hmm. really concerning. And then yeah. it saturates the market, too, which means yeah. your standards have to go down and your right. prices go down. Like, right. uh, right. you have to compete so in this yeah. capitalist market of <laughs> outdoor sex work. Already, yeah. On, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and again, so. uh, this is an example of the law of Sessafasta doing the opposite of what it claimed to have been Absolutely. intended to yeah. do, which is protect people. It mm-hmm. actually put them in more danger in very serious ways. Yeah, and indoor workers are not more likely to get trafficked. It's outdoor workers or yeah. uh, workers who have lower SES. Like, what's that? Uh, I did the acronym because I knew I was gonna trip over my socioeconomic status. Socioeconomic. 
Okay. Okay. SES. Is there a better? Like, no, a, I, I a just know it's perfect. Yeah. No, it's great. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> yes. So, yes, more marginalized folks are more likely to be trafficked, and then pushing more people into marginalized positions increases traffic. It's like a cycle. It's yeah. a vicious cycle. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you, and obviously you've put the caveat on your own experience that mm-hmm. you're coming at it from some privilege and, and that, yeah. you know, knock on wood, that privilege has only gone up, but like yeah. you, you've had positive growth. <laughs> um, what would you say from what you've experienced and also what you've seen are the greatest risks to sex workers? Like if we're going to talk about we care about women and people who are serving these roles. And obviously the law conflates those who are trafficked and thus not consenting mm-hmm. to engage in it and those who are working, which is a flaw in and of itself. But sex workers do fall victim to violence mm-hmm. regardless in some circumstances. So as somebody who does it of your own volition, what is something that is risky and what are some ways that you would say would actually help that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good question. The big things that I can think of risk-wise is a lack of protection workers have. Um, So I've had times where I'm seeing a client who gets violent. I've had clients not let me leave their house. I've had them trap me. I've had them do, you know, gross and terrible things to me. Um, With the caveat, I've also had a lot of really lovely clients. I don't want to paint sex work as this, like, evil demon on the job. It's not. Um, but had I had a resource to call in that moment of like, I need help, can someone help me? Like I'm allowed to call an emergency line that will yes. help me. If I, like I, w- I have, I would have utilized that, but I don't feel safe calling cause then I'm going to get arrested or I'm going to get mm. something on my record or. And we know how, it, I mean, it ties into the whole defund the police, which essentially, right. again, for anybody who's not familiar with the actual practical application of that movement, it means reallocate money towards social services that might respond more effectively, mm-hmm. yeah. but with less violence. Yeah. And but then the, into the, situation. the yeah. additional layer to that is also um, if sex workers did not have to fear something being put on their record Absolutely. because it was decriminalized, yeah. then they yeah. could you call could and not fear that they were going to be, yeah, wow. not fear that they were going to be punished for asking for help. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's something that's scary. And that's something that I rely a lot on with my friends and my fellow providers in my community to, like, I share my location. You know where I am at all points in time if anything doesn't happen or if anything happens to me or I don't get back to you. So there's precautions that we can internally take and that I internally take. Well, that also shows the value of the community that you're talking about with Backpage. Yeah, right, exactly. But if that is the protection mechanism that kind of... Mm-hmm exists then yeah but it would be nice to be able to be like hey i'm having an emergency someone's trying to do some crazy shit to me can you help mm-hmm. that would be great yeah yeah absolutely and i guess the follow-up question to that is um what do you think could be changed under the law like do, is there a certain decriminalization model that you prefer or like what is the ideal level of because i know some 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 sex workers and providers, they prefer um, just decriminalization where then the government doesn't have any involvement at all. Some of them prefer uh, decriminalization and, and, and regulation of the industry. Which I think is more reasonable. I don't think there are a lot of industries where the government decriminalizes, except like big banking, where like there's no criminalization and also they're hands off in terms of regulating. 
Well, yeah, where do you fall on that? I everyone, So everyone's different about this, like you said. I personally like a full decrim. I don't want the government involved in what I'm up to or regulating myself or my clients. Um, I don't think it's useful to have... I would have to do a little more research, but I think it might be the Nordic model that punishes clients but not providers. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. The Nordic model, we talked about this in the previous episode, but it's (laughs) also called the quote-unquote end-demand model. Um, It it criminalizes... Uh, buying sex or any any kind of um, it criminalizes clients, but then won't criminalize workers. But the effect of that means a lot of workers can't functionally run their business because well, the intended effect. I yeah, mean, who really. knows how it actually would play out? Yeah, yeah. But I I would add just from well, the, they, they um, do actually have that. The, the reason why it's called the Nordic model is because they have implemented it in other countries, and it works and to that end. It works. Yeah, basically, it means that it's much harder for sex workers to operate than it would be if there was a full okay, decriminalization. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean that. that ma- yeah, that would make sense. Um, the the one asterisk that I would add to the idea of regulation is that when people talk about regulation, at least in the the legal and policy world, it's things like protection. It's things like making sure that there is some statute that says if you hire a sex worker, like kind of the same idea as if you hire somebody to be an independent contractor who builds something Mm -hmm. on your house and you bring them into an unsafe environment and they get injured, that there is a specific law that you are breaking. And so regulation does not mean that you're... I, and I understand why the impulse would be um, wary, because there have been no laws that previously have protected sex workers <laughs> or anything adjacent to it. But when I think about the ideal of make it legal so that you can regulate it, it's kind of like the idea of legalizing marijuana with the model being legalizing alcohol. that then you can talk about what is safe. So don't drive when you do this thing. And, you know, working fully in that analogy, uh, don't drive when you do this thing. If you have had a lot to drink and somebody has sex with you, that's different than if you consent. You know, those are the regulations that can actually be protective once we acknowledge as a society that the conduct that we're talking about is okay. Then we protect the person engaging in the conduct in a way that we can't and don't or that sex workers aren't comfortable taking advantage of, even if, like Sesta Fosta, technically you can get damages from your abuser, mm-hmm. but who on earth is going to go to a federal court and be like, I know the same law says that I broke the law, but maybe yeah. you'll flip everything and find in my favor this time and it'll go well. Like, who yeah. even knows to invoke that? I don't even know the provision. And, and I'm going to guess that it's not frequently invoked. Well, actually, and this is... Uh, regulation can be good, is, is my bottom line. Yeah, I think I think the reason why I tend to lean full decrim uh, with, without government involvement um, to an extent is that m- the majority of sex workers that I've heard speak on this have said full decrim. When it comes to sex work specifically, I think that there is a fear, and I think Alec can speak on more on this in a second, about, like, because I, I would like to know, you know, what what is the difference? Why do you prefer full decrim over, or I guess if if you're if the two options that you have in your mind are full decrim versus the Nordic model, that is understandable, right? Because a lot of that a lot sense. of sex workers, yes. when they talk about regulation, they mean um, they mean the Nordic model. Um, but is there is there a reason why in your mind you fu- you prefer full decrim, Allie? Yeah, so for me, hearing decrim versus, I don't mean the Nordic model at all, we don't even have to yeah. talk about that one. <laughs> yeah. 
um, versus legalization. Um, and I'm not super familiar with decrim paired with regulatory laws. So just bear with me here. The reason I prefer decrim is because of that safety piece. If mm. I want to be able to okay. call someone if I need help, and I want it to not be illegal for what I'm doing or what my loved ones are doing, or to, um, it's to me it sounds more like that's okay and we're not going to hurt you. Okay, that you do that. And to me, the regulation piece then comes in is who it's then out of our hands. I don't want the government then deciding what we can and can't do with our bodies, what we're allowed to do right. to put regulations on the way that people are required to be tested. This sucks so much because it's like you see the effects of how unprotective the government has been because decriminalization is actually a more illegal form of something mm-hmm. than fully legal. So Fully legal, is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yes, I like that. That's, that's the status that marijuana has in some states, and it's like, we're going to pretend that this isn't happening, which means that you couldn't call the cops. Oh, I see what you're saying. If you, you could it call, means that there are no protections. It means that it, what decriminalization means is that you would not be convicted for that activity. You would not be prosecuted still, or convicted for that activity. But on the books, it's still illegal. It, oh, in, I see what you're saying federal law so again marijuana is a very good example because it occupies that weird moral space and federal law still makes it illegal but states will kind of try out this decriminalization but the federal law is still there so if somebody wants to crack down they can and the federal government's kind of just like holding their ears for a while um, but Ali, you were explaining the. I think what you brought up was like testing, uh, you know, regu- manda- mandatory testing and so bad um, regulations. Kind y- of. Yeah, yeah, which I think is the fear, right? Because no one right, fears good yeah. regulations. Uh, and that's why I want to kind of separate the two: the decriminalization in terms of drafting legislation. It would mean no protections, but no arrests. Yeah. So when you talk about wanting to call somebody mm-hmm. to be there. The whole, they might get arrested would go away, but they still, there wouldn't be a resource. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we're talking about, let's make it an acceptable job Mm -hmm. and protect workers in the same way that we protect them in any other industry, that takes it a step further. It's still decriminalized. It is still officially not criminal. Mm -hmm. Then I think, Brooke, what you're saying is a risky layer that might make people wary Hinder of the people's idea. abilities to work. Yeah. And could you just, could you just, uh, Bad Ali, would you just, and this is a good, this is a good caveat to put on this. Could you get into the regulations that you would not want to see were there, yeah. were decriminalized? Like, Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking about uh, with the testing in Nevada. I mean, I think testing is great. Big testing advocate. That's not what I'm saying here. Um, I think that that's an access to resource issue as well. Mm-hmm. So if people are required so the testing thing specifically, I'm just thinking like if people don't have the transportation, the time, the money to get tested, they're not like someone else is in, um, funding that for them. Mm-hmm. That's then another added layer to making this work inaccessible to people, especially the people who it's important to make more accessible for. Right. Um, like if the government's going to require it, the government should pay for it. Yeah. But then we get into this. It's the same right. Right. capitalist right. model thing. Yeah. I think... Um, when I don't want the government playing around with anyone's market rates, mm-hmm. like they yeah. do with, well, maybe, I don't know, I could be wrong about this, but just living in Colorado with the whole pot thing, <laughs> like, the people who benefit from this are the rich white guys who have had the capital to invest in it, yada, yada. And so when things start become regulated, they become out of the hands of the person that, that's actually doing the work mm-hmm. and trying to do the work. That and sucks. if I am formerly in control of my business, 
and then you regulate me in such a way that I'm no longer in control of my business, that doesn't work for me. It's interesting because Colorado is such a purple state right now. Um, And I should say that we, um, after watching the RNC, (laughs) we were inspired to get Allie registered to vote in Colorado. So um, worked well for the Republicans (laughs) last night. But I think that that must be such a weird disillusioning um, or, or potentially disillusioning. And for somebody who is privileged, I can't imagine people who don't have access to this kind of conversation yeah. per se, because that's not how it needs to work. And I would say that in fully blue states, obviously I'm biased, but in fully blue states, the idea of protection is not married to the idea of losing control and thus ceding control to these like privileged capitalist forces it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like that um, and there certainly are ways to regulate and protect because regulate means protect in my brain in an ideal world that are not just let's make this a business mm-hmm. but well, because Colorado in its government has enough of that impulse yeah um and it's tough because that's that's a very hot way to advertise decriminalization of a lot of these things it's like but there's money to be made (laughs) like no and i don't know why else they would do it though right if the people i mean i think that's the best argument for marijuana legalization um and but there are fewer human lives at stake Mm -hmm. that should be more of an incentive and, and yet aren't with the sex work uh parallel yeah. And I think I think that something that's so important moving forward with this is, however, and obviously this is something that the, the danger, of course, is sliding into the kind of negative regulations that Ali is talking about. So the priority here moving forward uh, should be as we are deciding what legal steps we can take to improve the quality of life and the ability to work um, of providers. We need to be inclusive of people who actually work in the industry and know what's best for them and have experience in a way that um, I feel like, again, people who think they know better making choices for people yeah. in the industry mm-hmm. is where we get a lot of this negative, like paternalistic, yeah. nanny state uh, kind of regulation that ends up negatively well, impacting the providers. Because you see it with so many different topics of of legislation, because I think the first time, Brooke, that you and I talked about it, it was opioids, Mm -hmm. and then it came up with sex work. Like, you could come up with it in so many different contexts where it's like, oh, the government realizes that there's an issue and we have to fix it really quickly, so we're going to win votes by doing a legislation really fast, and we're not going to ask the experts what it Mm. requires. I mean, look at how the response to COVID is going, how (laughs) much medical information is going into this. And even I was not able to find a congressional record that was tying prostitution to human trafficking. Yeah. And yet they said they're inextricably linked. So they are. I... Mm. So I, I would love the kind of evidentiary ties that are required with other legal proceedings that have a, a much smaller scale effect, but are still very important. Absolutely, um, and I think when it again, affects the world yes. at large or the country mm-hmm. at large, rather centering the centering the voice of the people who it affects will yeah. do, will will curb a lot will curb a lot of those uh, negative effects and those consequences. I think absolutely, um, and I think make regulation safer and better tailored. Absolutely, but Ali, I would also ask, what was the thing you talked about with police? 
mm-hmm. it kind of pairs with solutions. Right. How police are allowed to have sex with people that they've arrested in a lot yeah. of states legally. And they do. Um, and they do. They do this with sex workers all the time. Either that they've picked up off the street, like, oh, you don't want to get in trouble? Give me a blood job. And then they still might arrest them. Or if they're responding to a call, or if it's entrapment where they have sex with the provider before they arrest them. Um, so, no, I, I'm not going to call the cops. I'm yeah. not going to call the cops for my safety and for my record also. And that sucks because then I'm put in a weird position of, like, Of course, yeah. Risk? What's the greater risk? Right, yeah. right, like, what, yeah, what's the greater risk, exactly. But I thought that was very interesting, especially in light of what we were talking about, which is yeah. that in a lot of states and something like 35-plus states, it is not illegal for police to have sex with people they've arrested have sex with um and which Brooke, again and as we've talked about before this. yes it's yeah. impossible to consent in those situations there right. is no right th- that that is not true in consent. any situation yeah and then when you add sex work as the crime quote unquote that you're being arrested for or targeted for it is such a loaded situation and you have no bargaining chips so that right when you mentioned that that to me seemed like such a an easy legal fix is just oh make that across the board illegal like right. yeah or at least a fireable offense uh so ali is there anything you want to add uh before we before we close out the episode is there are, do you have any thoughts that you want to add or like anything that we missed that you think is important to talk about there's nothing particularly coming to mind okay um, i would say just the people listening like check in with your friends that you know are sex workers educate yourself we're not that scary and we won't bite unless you pay us (laughs) um but just i think i would encourage people to familiarize yourself with people that you may not know or places that you're curious and most people just want or i know i can speak for myself as a sex worker i don't want to get into arguments about this Mm -hmm. anymore with people who don't know about it like Mm -hmm. i don't want it to be weird i kind of like the shock value but that's a little (laughs) bit like that's just a thing yeah that's just my own shit um (laughs) it would be nice to just be able to be like to meet someone be like oh yeah this is what i do for work and they're like okay cool yeah we'll get into the arguments for you if you want to outsource it you're like i just don't want to deal with this (laughs) send us a bullet list yeah 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 but I, as a reference of yours, I will say that you are one of the sweetest and most genuine people that Allie anybody could delight. ask for. Allie is a delight, a, 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 yeah. a light in the in this dark world of woodland nymph, and we're Absolutely. all blessed to know her. Absolutely, nice. I'm just crying a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that you've changed a lot of my family's views on sex work just by existing who you are. Um, and not that that's your burden, except that it's your burden, you know? It's just like being a woman. It's like, I would love for this not to be my job, but here we are. Yeah. And on that note, uh, you can go follow Allie, because as we've said, your life will be improved by, by knowing stuff. her and yep. by having access to Absolutely. her. By her presence. So you can follow Allie again on Instagram. My baby. Okay, so her handle is at Zandra DZW. X-A-N-D-R-A-D-Z-W. Like I said, D's and dog. Allie, thank you so much for joining us and giving your time and your expertise, your insight. We love you so much, and we're just so we're so grateful that you came on and talked to us about this. Yeah, I know. I love you both, and I have warm and fuzzies for being here. So thank you. If you want to follow uh, Kenzie and I, as per usual, you can find me at Twitter at BKE Rogers. You can find me on Instagram at Brooke Angeline. 
And I am on Instagram at mkzjoybrennan. And on Twitter, I am getme2anunnery, but the two is the number two. And we are working on our Patreon. So um, well, that hopefully is have that up and running eventually. forthcoming. Well, and it'll be connected to our website that um, still exists and still in progress, mostly because of us being loaf about, not Ethan Lindsay, but uh, exceedinglypersuasive.com. Talk to us. We love hearing from you. Absolutely. And uh, hit up Allie if you have any questions. And from us and this little man who hangs on my wine glass named Cody. From all of us here at Exceedingly Persuasive Podcast, good luck and good night. No, we got that. one for you, too. Oh, yeah. Good night. Good luck. We, we good got luck. a little man out for you. It's Chad. Aw. I love it. All right. Bye. 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 Okay.